This is the Wealth Ability for CPAs show. Better clients, better practice, better life. Here's Tom Wheelwright. Welcome to the Wealth Ability Show for CPAs, where we're always discovering how to build better clients, a better practice, and a better life. Hi, this is Tom Wheelwright, your host, founder, and CEO of the Wealth Building Network. So this is an unprecedented time of change in the CPA world, um, particularly in the tax world, as we have AI, we have blockchain, we have all these things going on. We have disruption in the in the in the uh, human resources space where we have fewer and fewer CPAs coming in. So the question is, um, how do we, you know, how do we actually design our business so that we can actually handle all these changes? And um, so today we're going to discover actually how to do that. And we have an expert in this area that I think is going to blow your mind um, because uh, Mike Goldsby, um, who, um, who wrote the book, Design-Centered Entrepreneurship, really has come up with a formula to do this, which I think is fantastic. As CPAs, we love formulas. And uh, Mike, it is. Uh, I'm very excited to have you on our, our show today. Thanks for coming. Thank you, Tom. It's great to be on your show and great to have a chance to speak to your audience. So so if you would, just give us a little of your background and you know, kind of how you got into this area. Sure. So I, uh, I'm i an entrepreneurship professor, but at Ball State, I wear a lot of hats. So I have an institute for entrepreneurship. I have a professorship in entrepreneurship. I have a professorship in management. And really, uh, that professorship in entrepreneurship and that professor, professorship in management kind of go together because I, I look at a lot of the sort of the uh, key issues you're talking about in your show where workplace for one, you know, the work environment that we work in, and then two, the 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 effect of innovation, ideally uh, driving innovation, but also responding to innovation. So, uh, you know, those types of things actually end up, end up impacting the design of the business. The definition of what that business is gets affected by those things. All right, so I want to get right into it here because I am I am beyond curious um, about uh, your your thoughts on this because uh, you know I'm a big I'm a big fan, um, Mike, of you know finding patterns, developing a formula, and then you implement a system, right? I mean that's kind of the pattern that that I followed for many many years in my businesses. So you use a term called design philosophy. It, let's start real basic there. What do you mean by that? So design is not necessarily going with your first idea, but it's trying to craft the best possible solution you can to a problem. So with our approach that we talk about in our book, first you have to know what problem you're going after. And, and usually the problem that you think is a starting point isn't actually the real problem. So we believe that with some tools that we talk about with like fact-finding questions that can help you redefine the problem. So you have, we have a problem as you talked about, you know, with AI, that's a, that's a potential problem. So how do we re redefine that or reframe it in a way that it becomes an opportunity? So that design principles do that. And then design helps you to figure out how to craft that solution that you come up with to make it the best possible thing to satisfy and, and ideally exceed the expectations of your customers. All right. So let's take real life. Um, let, let's go. If you don't mind, let, let's yeah. just take real life situation here. I'm going to let you walk me through, walk us through. Um, how to deal with this. Okay, so um, right now what's going on in this uh, tax world is we've got computer systems that are getting more and more sophisticated that will effectively 
I think, be able to do not just the tax return preparation work, but even a lot of the tax planning work. Um, with That's where AI comes in, right? So the blockchain, um, it's the blockchain that allows us to do the tax return preparation, but it's the AI that'll, that, that will allow uh, computers to really do a lot with the... Um, uh, with the actual tax strategy or, or tax planning. So, all right. So, so that is an obvious, wait a minute, we've been doing tax returns and, and some tax planning for years and years. Uh, in recent years, people have been talking about, we, especially myself, been talking about, let's do a tax advisory practice, but even that seems to be under assault. Okay. So let's talk about, let's start with what's the real problem? What kind of questions do you ask? How do you get to the root of this? Yeah, so it sounds like what you're saying is the real problem is uh, the AI will do tax preparation and it will even do advisory aspects. So um, there's six questions or five real key questions that we like to use. One is, what's the problem? Tell me about it. You kind of told me about it. those. Are, that's what we know. But is there anything, Tom, that you think we don't know about this problem that maybe we'd like to find out? What are, what are things that maybe still need to be learned? Well, I mean, for example, we don't know how customers will react to this, right? Um, customers seem to be okay with chatbots on a website, but are they really going to be okay with, you know, their tax? You know, they're going to trust it. So, so I think there's a trust question there. I think there's a question of um, uh, how how fast will it come, and then how comprehensive will it be? You know, will it will it be something that we do, you know, we still do 20% of the work. If it does, then that's great because we just have more clients and we do, you know, be able to serve more, more people, which since there are fewer and fewer CPAs coming to the profession, this actually works for us. Um, so that's actually the opportunity there. But th those would be some of the, you know, the obvious unknowns to it. Yeah. And so we have other questions. Like one is uh, what's already been thought of or tried? Not a whole lot yet. It's, it's brand new. Uh, what would you ideally like to get if we could solve it? And you kind of mentioned that, you know, we'd like to have happy customers and trust is still there. But this is a great question, one that we always find some interesting thoughts around is, are you making any assumptions about this current problem you're thinking about that may or may not be true? What assumptions might you be making about this current AI situation that may or may not be true? Well, one, one of course, would be that AI can actually do this. I mean, that's an assumption we're making is that it's very possible AI won't, I mean, it, that's a long ways away. We don't know if that's a year away. You know, chat GPT kind of cut us all off guard because it was so good and we weren't expecting to be that good that early. And yet now what we're seeing is, okay, it's it's good, but it's not that good, right? So, so you can still identify, yes, this article came from, I was talking to an editor yesterday and he said, yeah, we can identify when it was com comes from chat GPT and we just turn those down. That's yeah. what we do. And, you know, so, you know, professor, I'm sure professors have this issue. You have this issue in your business um, where, you know, our students are students submitting papers with chat GPT, which I'm sure I'm, I'm, that would be a logical thing to do. Students want to do things as easily as possible. Um, right. So I, I think that's one of the assumptions is that, yeah, it really can do it. Um, but then the another assumption is it's going to do it quickly. And is it going to do it quickly or is it going to be, I mean, is it going to be 10, 20 years from now? Right. And, you know, I think one of the other things that comes up with the AI, especially chat GPT, is this idea of, they call it hallucinating, right? Where it gives 
answers that sound believable and, and but yet they're they're not accurate you have to right. double check the work right right and I, I would contend that maybe uh one of the assumptions or something related to your issue there is fine if, if the chat gbt and these ais can do a lot of things you're talking about with tax i as a as a person in the you know a civilian out in the regular world that's doesn't understand tax codes uh would I would I know that that's actually the right answers, right? Would I actually trust those? And so I would I would contend that maybe one of the opportunities in all this is reframing it into how might ChatGPT uh, remove a lot of the hassles that CPAs deal with, and because every CPA firm and every financial uh, advisor and consultant that I know gets to how clients will like a lot more advice, and you know they like to move to that. So maybe maybe that helps empower the situation, take away hassles that you can then leverage into more advice. Um, you know, the second thing is, uh, you know, me as a civilian, I can I can interact a lot with the tech in my on my computer, but you know, there's there's a certain game of keeping up with it. And I my time, I'd rather spend my time on what I'm good at and rely on experts. So my how how might you how might your expertise play as even more of a asset and strength to customers with AI available than it ever has before? My my best friend uh, also does my taxes. The poor guy's gone through, he called it trigger finger. I'm sure a lot of your, your uh, accounts out there know about trigger finger because he said he clicks those darn mouses so much doing all that, you know, uh, just that repetitive use of clicking in all the numbers and doing all that. I mean, so I think there's there's probably opportunities if you can reframe it and uh, be that source of even more trust. Think about it. That might even be a source of more trust in the accountant than ever before. If they're not relying on you, Tom, to do my taxes, and we're relying on this AI, then I want to know, I want to know that uh, even more so that it can be trusted than ever before. Got it. Okay. So we've gone through some of these questions, Dwight. You know that that, that you walk through. What's the next step we're doing in coming up with this design? philosophy so we we framed it in how might we use so we get to a reframing you know worried about ai how might we reframe ai to be an asset that helps us to do more of what our customers like and take away the the hassles daily hassles in the work for accountants because we know work-life balance is a really big issue for accountants and financial advisors of uh, the workload uh, so that you've got really satisfied customers. So then we go into possible solutions. We just diverge. And Tom, that's one thing that we talk a lot about is there's there's three key skills in innovation. It's diverge. You just throw out a lot of ideas without judging them. Picking the best ideas and developing them further and, and trying to, to build on those. And then the ability to separate those. So to know that there's a time to diverge, there's a time to converge. So right now we were having this discussion. We've talked a little bit about maybe the problem. Now we can think about possible solutions. So I would just say, Tom, what, given what we've talked about, what might be uh, ways to use AI as an asset to make customers happier and to make your life better uh, for yourself as an accountant? What are some ideas? Well, so so for example, if I don't have to do tax returns and all I have to do is kind of verify the tax return, that frees up 80% of, of our time, right? Um, second of all, it reduces the number of people I have to have on staff. And then, um, and then what it does is allows me to spend more time focused. And especially if I've got, um, on the planning standpoint, if I've got, um, some ideas 
that are actually being generated by AI, then I can take those and I can build on those. And I'm going, okay, how do I connect those with the client situation in particular? And then I can spend really most of my time doing client work, doing advisory client work instead of doing things like reviewing tax returns. That's beautiful. So, you know, I would contend with you that even if AI can do a lot of things for me, this is my this is my money. This is, you know, a very important thing in my life that I work hard for. And I want to make sure it's done right. And I still want to look a person in the face and get a human, you know, uh, get all those cues and all those reassurances and that advice coming from the person, not the AI. We're, you know, digital, we're, we're just bombarded by digital images all the time. It's hard to uh, even know what to look at, but to look at you, you know, in the eyes and, and to get your input and expertise, and then to be fed the latest and greatest uh, information that's out there via the AI. Uh, yeah, I would think this would be a, a tremendous, a tremendous tool. And then, as you said, cutting some cost, your bottom line might get better and your bottom line that might get better while not need, needing to generate as much revenue. Maybe you can back off a little bit of your workload. That might be nice. Okay. I like all those. All right. So, so, okay. We're still designing this, right? So we're we, designing it. We, we, right. we figured out this is not all bad. We figured out that it's maybe not as, it may not be as bad as we think it is and that there may be opportunities here. And we kind of figured out what the opportunities are. Okay. Then what? So now, now we want to get some interaction with the customer and you may have some ideas and you've got, maybe there's some clients that you have developed a really good relationship with and you say, look, I'm, I'm working on some new ideas here and you, you might just even uh, take a handful that to provide some free, just some free services to test how it works and get their feedback. So we would call that uh, user interaction. So you, you're coming up with some possible new uh, approaches. You, you say, look, I just want to test these out. And if they work, you know, I'm thinking about maybe adapting this more, seeing what they like about it, what they don't like, uh, what you learn from those interactions take the next iteration. And then when, when you think you've got something and, and they're, uh, and you can go back to them, you know, is this better? Am I, am I closer to this, uh, what we're talking about? And when, when you get them uh, going, yeah, this is great. This is better than uh, anything I've ever had before. You know, Tom, we, you've been great in the past, but you're even better now. It's like, all right, now it's time to scale it. And that's when you start uh, trying to uh, figure out how to build that into your business. And, you know, there might even be a transition period, you know, I mean, there might be a, a period of time where, uh, you know, it may not happen overnight. You may gradually move oh. into, into that. So I, I, I think it's definitely going to be a transition period because I think what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to discover what the AI tools are. Um, they're going to have to be built. I mean, you know, we've, we've got, you know, chat GPT really fundamentally is pretty simple. I mean, we actually see it when we do an email and outlook, because when we get a response, it says, here, here's three possible responses, right? You can choose one. That's that's the same thing. It's the same thing chat GPT does, right? It's just what's the right. logical next word. And um, what we do know is that AI right now doesn't do math very well. And so, you know, we're, we've got, we've got some time on how is that going to come along and who's going to develop it? Is it, you know, uh, the, the big companies that do like tax return software, are they going to develop it? Or is it going to be somebody, a completely new entrant into the marketplace? And so I do think there's going to be a lot of transition here and it's going to be hard to cope with transition. So um, th this is one of my questions for you is how do you, how do you design it in such a way that you can handle that transition? Cause this is not, not a six-month transition. 
this is a five year, five to 10 year transition. Yeah. So this is just like in, it, you're in a sense, you are, you're sort of reinventing the business. And what that means is when you're starting a new business, if you're being entrepreneurial and starting a new business, you got to get out there and, and, and get the facts on the ground. And so I would be, I would be attending workshops, whether online or in person to see how to use a, the AI. Uh, I was at a, a PhD reunion last week in Virginia and we had sessions on how to use AI and and how to use it in research, how to use it in the classroom, how to use it with bureaucratic administrative work. We the so I was at, I'm a Virginia Tech graduate. It's a it's an engineering school, okay. and, and computer science. And they said, "Look, this is here. You, you're not going to be able to prevent it. So how do you adapt to it and use it as a tool?" And I know in our work, you know, I've talked to a lot of professors and we write research, but you know, the ideas still come from us. We still are the ones that by the time you have edited and reworked and added things in, it, it, it looks a lot different than the AI suggestions, but the AI helps, it speeds up the process. So, you know, one of the things that, you know, one possible variant for you might be, you know, price could even go down for some of your services because the- right. The workload goes down on a lot of those tasky things that take up a lot of time. So maybe you, price goes down on that, but you're still you're still charging for certain services. But maybe you've got more clients with less time, right? I mean, that's that's what that's the that's the definition of productivity. Productivity. The definition is getting more out of the resources you have. That's productivity. And theoretically, AI is a technology. Just like Google Scholar did for me as a scholar, without having to go to the library and go through 800 journals, Google Scholar does it for me. Uh, I can do things that tasky work that used to take me a week in in, in a couple right. of hours. That that was before AI, right? So it, it's a tool. It should increase productivity. Therefore, how how do you use that to get the bottom line better? To get more out with that tool and also use it to satisfy your customers. And again, I would, I would say that the design aspect, you're going to go out there and learn, attend workshops, talk to people. You're getting my ideas. You talk to more people, get, get the expert ideas, go to the workshops, uh, be a student of it. And then also then start cobbling some things together and say, can, can I just test this with you? You know, you're, you're a friend. I'm thinking about going in this direction. I want to serve you better. I'd like to use this to help you serve you better. Am I, am I doing that with this or not? Got it. So testing, just like you would in marketing, you're doing A/B testing and marketing. Uh, let's let's do some, uh, maybe even some A/B testing um, with uh, you know different uses of the of the technology. That makes sense. That's exactly what it is, and you know, uh, it's interesting, right? Because you're in a field of certification and expertise, and I am too, as a professor, PhD. Uh, you know, we talk about, well, well, we get replaced by AI, but what we know from the COVID situation was students really missed out a lot on not being on campus. Uh, you know, I find online is really good for, for older students who are self-motivated, but, un, you know, people 18 and 22 usually need that in-person in experience to be motivated and to feel engaged. And uh, so you're in a field too where, we rely on people with expertise and certifications, but if this AI technically can do CPA type of work, that's a threat, obviously. But then again, how does it become a tool? And that becomes the question. How does that become a tool to better 
the customer experience and your job as a CPA. Uh, and I, and just like I would say, uh, for me, I mean, I could get, I could buy all those things at Best Buy, those programs, all you know, all the different tax programs. But I go to my accountant every time. And when I had a when I had an issue with the IRS uh, five years ago with an audit, uh, he was on the phone with me every time I needed him. He was on the phone getting me through that audit. And at the end of it, I I only had a hundred twenty five dollar charge for a penalty on a $25 miscalculation because I was in a, uh, what do they call it? A calculation audit where they were mm. recalibrating their IRS codes. And I, I got the lottery pick, they said, and they went through all my records. But my my CPA was the one that kept me sane. So an AI would not have done that for me. It was James, my friend James, my my CPA saying, we're, we're going to get you through this. He And as he said, those numbers are solid. You've got nothing to worry about. We'll get through this. That's what I needed. That's what I was paying for. So there is a lot of there's there's a lot of assurance that uh, and trust that the um, that the clients get from having a human. So the, you you see that there's always going to there's a, a, at least for the foreseeable future going to be a trust issue um, with uh, AI. I mean we still don't you know we don't trust the media anymore even so because right. it could be because it could be AI generated right the media could be AI generated could be you know could be somebody in Russia. Um, generating that or China or someplace else. So um, I think that's a really good point. So is there a, um, so what kind of patterns do you see when it comes to uh, successful business launches? Because, you know, if you're talking about design, you're following, you're, you're identifying patterns. So is there anything that you um, historically have seen over your research um, in what makes a successful design and what makes somebody successful in launching that like we're going to be relaunching our business. Yeah. It's, a, it's actually something I'm working on right now. I'm doing a lot of research on, cause I see, I identified it as a, as that key trait that I've noticed about who makes it and who doesn't. And it's people who are willing to revise their path. So, you know, it's, it's fascinating because like as, as an entrepreneur, as a, as a uh, business owner, that belief in what you're doing and that passion and that confidence is, is the thing that moves you forward. But it's also a thing that can also lead to you overlooking uh, really important information. So, you know, I, again, I, I got to believe there's trade conferences that you can get some good feedback on what's going on, best practices that people are using. But also as you're doing this, you're going to make mistakes and, and being open to that feedback and making those adjustments gradually as you go. I mean, you make some big changes now and then, but there's just, it's just constant refinement and really, really being willing to be, you know, coachable, to be coachable. I mean, that because that's the paradox. If you weren't driven and confident and believing in your gut, you probably wouldn't be an entrepreneur. But also because of that, you might overlook some really important information that could be an Achilles heel that would, that could, you know, totally ruin the whole enterprise. So, being willing to revise, being willing to get feedback. So here's two questions I'll leave you with on that idea that I, I've always given people. I think it's key. When you're working on these new ideas, Tom, yes, two questions. Is what I'm thinking about doing here reasonable? You know, is this reasonable? So people who you trust that you think might have some knowledge that uh, could give you really good feedback, you know, is it reasonable? And then the second question is, is there anything here I'm missing? So what am I missing in this idea that maybe I need to, to think about more? Those two questions will give you that information you need to revise. 
at the end of the day, it's still your business. You, you make the call. But what we're trying to get to here over and over and over again throughout this whole process is that you're making an informed decision. Now, so innovators oftentimes, you know, they oftentimes do different that people aren't comfortable with, or they do things. And, you know, Steve Jobs was always disrupting, you know, the, the way people were used to things. That's what innovators do. But Steve Jobs also did talk to people. He took walks with people. He mm -hmm. went and found the best people in those areas to say, can we take a walk? I'm sure he asked those types of questions. You know, is this reasonable and what am I missing? And then when he when he thought he had all his homework done and he thought he had something that would really uh, thrill the customer because he knew his customers really well. He knew what those customers would like and what they wouldn't like. Then he, that was his job. He said, my job is to deliver something great for them. But uh, on that path there, the thing that was often missed that people don't know about is he get, he had a lot of conversations before he pulled the trigger. And so you're making that informed decision over and over and over again based on the next thing. I love it. I love it. So the book is Design Centered Entrepreneurship. It's uh, basically entrepreneurship. Um, uh, I would say entrepreneurship on purpose, uh, with a purpose and on purpose and, and with, uh, you know, actually doing the hard work ahead of time, not just, uh, you know, guessing, um, but actually doing the hard work. Um, is it reasonable? Is, um, what am I missing? And then testing, right? Yeah. Testing it testing it out before we actually uh, launch that. And I think we forget because we've been doing our business maybe, I mean, for me, it's been over 40 years. So you may have been doing this business and all of a sudden all of the assumptions change, right? So everything about what you're thinking about is, you know, all those, all those synapses that you've got like in hardened in your brain, all of a sudden, wait a minute, this is not the way necessarily it's going to work. So asking those questions, I think this is phenomenal. Um, any final words for our um, listeners? Yeah. So look, look at business, the business world out there as you're going into all this. It's a game, right? You're going into a game. The rules of the game have changed. What game are you in now? And what's it going to take for somebody to win in that game? So this you had a 40 year game. It was a good game. You know, you, you got a lot of good, a, a lot of good rewards out of that game, but now, now you're in a new game and you got to figure out what the game is. I love it. I love it. And when we do that, see, this is the thing when, we, when we're really um, purposeful about what we're doing and uh, we recognize that we're in a new game that we, you know, we, we ask these questions, is it reasonable? What am I missing? And then we test it. What always gonna, is going to happen is we're going to always end up with better clients, a better practice, and a better life. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Mike. You've been listening to the WealthAbility for CPA show. Better clients, better practice, better life. To learn more, go to WealthAbility.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.